Welcome to PsychPod, a safe space where you can listen to professionals talk about questions, topics and ideas that matter. For our fourth episode, we have an acclaimed author, wisdom teacher, international speaker and clinical psychologist Shefali Sabari. She was born and raised in India and received her doctorate from Columbia University in New York. She has released 3 books that explore the different aspects of parenting. and now she conducts online courses that have helped hundreds of adults and families around the world they cover topics like anger anxiety purpose meaning relationships and conscious health along with this she is a keynote speaker who presents at conferences and workshops around the world her message has the potential to change people's lives for generations to come hi nice to meet you hi thank you so much for joining us Thank you. I would like to start off by asking you, do you think women are preconditioned to feel like victims from when they are children? Okay, so it's a very complex answer, okay? When you ask a psychologist like me, you don't get a yes or no. So let me explain a little bit my point of view. So we live in an intensely highly in, uh, rigidified patriarchal world. and because of this patriarchy there are inherent innate <clears throat> uh hierarchical differences which create domination and subjugation in nature in the natural world males are typically stronger because their responsibility in the natural world is to protect and provide that natural tendency in a patriarchal culture gets toxic and that's what you see in today's world that just because they're stronger and bigger and have more muscle tone they have used this to their advantage through the patriarchy to then enter a toxic masculinity and subjugate women so women in this patriarchy are conditioned to feel threatened by to feel wary of and to be victimized in this position and yes they are then natural victims of such toxicity now there's a difference between being a victim of something that is inherently brutally unfair because say i was raped I will call myself a victim of rape. If I am uh, abused in the house, I will call myself a victim of domestic abuse. The more we speak out and say no, I was a victim, the better we will be as women. However, there is a big difference between being a victim and victimized in a moment to having a victimized consciousness. So I think what you're asking is are we just trained to have a victimized consciousness and i will say no because a victimized consciousness is one of passivity one of servility one of um lethargy and uh, uh, and a silent uh, kind of acceptance of this is just our weaker lot but being a victim is very different sometimes we are victims what to call that and i think we've been so afraid to say no i was a victim of domestic abuse because of the stereotypes and the and the uh 
scorn that we are afraid that we will get or the backlash we will get, that we actually don't speak up. When we speak up and say, hey, I was a victim and that wasn't okay, we actually get out of victimized consciousness. So there is a victimized consciousness, which is what we're actually talking about, which is this, oh, you know, poor me, it always happens to me, there's nothing I can do about it, I'm such a martyr, and we develop this victim complex, a martyr complex, which is very, very disempowering, very different from saying, hey, you abused me because of your inherent strength and your position in life, say you're my boss or my uh, superior in some you know, workplace, and I'm going to speak up and say you will not be able to do that. I will not be a victim of your abuse. Very different from holding a victim complex. So that's my long answer. That does make a lot of sense. So is the idea of the woman as a victim genuinely legitimate in your view? And if so, does it help women emancipate themselves or keep them in the cycle of subjugation and hierarchy? Right. So it is not legitimate to say I'm a victim without understanding if you have been victimized in a particular abusive situation. We're not just inherently victims in this patriarchy until we are toxically abused we we must speak out when we have been victims but we cannot have that victim complex victim complex is what you're seeing in the world so in the me too movement here in the west and now in india too people the women didn't speak up they didn't speak up because they were afraid to say hey i was a victim and then they held on to a victim complex the more we speak up the less we are complexed about it. And we say, hey, this is a patriarchy. The patriarchy has the potential to become extremely toxic and abusive. And yeah, I was a victim of that. No big deal. My boyfriend hit me. My husband pushed me. My boss tried to grope my ass. No, Say it. And the more we say I was a victim to something unfair, we get out of victim complex. So sorry, I'm just going to ask one question here. Since you brought up the Me Too movement, in that there were so many people who took advantage of the movement and they just told random stories that didn't actually happen and then they made themselves a victim. So what do you think about those things and like how do you... Yes, so we have to be very careful. Very Yes, in every movement, there will be those who take advantage of facetiously, in a fallible way, in an erroneous way. In every movement, there will be 99% majority truth and 1% false. It's like the Republican Party here in America always pans the camera to the one black person in their, <laughs> in their audience and goes, see, we have black people supporting us. Never mind the whole party may actually tend towards white supremacy. So we have to be very careful in focusing on the 1% that are erroneous because then we unknowingly shut the other 99% from speaking because then you make the person doubt themselves, the woman doubt themselves in saying something like this. Oh, he didn't rape me and tear my vagina. So you know what? It was only one slap. So maybe I shouldn't talk because then people are saying that, you know, that person just talked about the man talking about her breasts. So this one did not, you know, do much. So maybe I'll shut up. It's the same like children. When children come to us with abuse, 
uh, or situations where they've been abused. Take it for granted that 99% of them are telling the truth. Why would people lie? But because children are so scared, they actually shut up. Why are they scared? Because we go, are you sure? Did he really hurt you? Or did you just think he hurt you? We have to be very careful when we tend to uh, erroneously, quickly point the finger and tell people to be very sure of their abuse. I'll tell you why. Because the system is set up for women to be silenced anyway, right? That is inherent in a patriarchy anyway. So we don't want women to second guess themselves. Yes, knowing that we must probe, we must not just uh, quickly lie down and take anything they say, knowing that 1% will always take advantage of this rise in the tide, but always veer toward, hey, tell me more. I hear you. That sounds really difficult. Women need to understand other women. You know, it's women who put other women down by going, oh, big deal. You know, you can't take a few gropes here and there. What's that? Oh, you were only groped. I was molested. Oh, you were only molested. I was raped. No. All uh, nuances of abuse or the feeling of being abused need to be heard and taken seriously. And then, yes, categorized. But because we've been silenced for so long, let us speak. And yes, in that letter speaking, in that venting, we may be extra irate, extra angry, extra belligerent. And and then there are always those women who are uncomfortable with these big emotions to go, oh, do you have to be like so loud and so angry? Like all feminists are so angry. Yeah, we're angry because for years we've been subjugated. So now don't tell me to be quiet because it was only one grope or one pinch. It's one pinch too many. It's one more time I've had to be afraid walking on the street alone. But also, having said that, we have to understand that we are prey. We are prey in the way nature made us. Nature made us weak. So we need to walk in packs on the road. We need to teach our daughters, yeah, show your cleavage because that makes you feel amazing and sexy. But know that you will be preyed upon because men and males in the natural world, including human males, are predatorial in nature. So don't think you can walk around on the street And this goes for me, even though I'm 48, showing my cute little ass and titties, thinking I'm so cute and hot without the consequences that 1,500 people, males, will be preying on me. We have to also understand the natural world and how it's set up, understand that there is a patriarchy culturally, and then there is a toxic patriarchy. So we have to make ourselves educated to understand the dynamics of a very complex uh, biological natural world syndrome of males being stronger and and then how that comes into patriarchy and then how that comes into the abuse of patriarchy okay so how do you think women contribute to their own subjugation and are they enablers of the patriarchy themselves yes 100 percent. we are co-creators we are co-creators in all aspects of our lives right so Having said that, let me just give you a little parenthesis. There are two kinds of situations that happen to us in life. Those that are completely random, such as a hurricane, a tornado, the roof falls on our head, or we're jogging in Central Park and boom, we get gang raped, or we walk into a bank and there's a heist. These situations which seem random don't necessarily include our co-creation in the in at the outset 
but they include our co-creation from the moment it happens ongoingly, right? Now it's happened. So every time I think about it, I am co-creating it in my mind. But then there are situations which are non-random, such as all our personal interpersonal interactions. All those are being co-created at the outset by us. So there's life happens as in shit happens. And you can say, I didn't create that. I didn't create the car banging into me. I didn't create the bank robber holding me at gunpoint. You're right. Those are random occurrences. But because we're part of life, the moment it happens, we start co-creating. But we didn't create the outset event. And the and the and all the other events where we are in, in a long-term relationship, we are co-creating it. So having said that, we are, I would just say, for the most part, constant co-creators of our lives. So yes, we women are constantly co-creating both our empowerment and our subjugation. How do we co-create our subjugation? Number one, by not speaking up. Number two, by competing with other girls and women. By, 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 by actually feeding into the patriarchy, by, by Botoxing our bodies and our lips and, uh, and uh, butt injecting ourselves and giving ourselves silicon boobs, thinking we are empowering ourselves, but we're actually doing exactly what the males want. They want a bigger butt. They want it. And instead, what we should say to ourselves and declare to the world is, this is who I am. I will not compete with other women to have thicker lips and a bigger butt because this is how nature endowed me. So the more we accept ourselves and not only accept, celebrate, and not only celebrate, but exalt ourselves and love the women who have the big bubble butt. And even though we have a straight cardboard butt, say, hey, I, I love your body and you're beautiful in that shape, but I'm beautiful in my shape. The more we do this, we actually um, disinfect the toxicity of patriarchy. We actually take it out of being in power. But we don't realize by doing all this, wearing our pushabras and our stilettos, which kill our heels, we're actually playing into exactly what the males want, wearing spider lashes. Yeah, it makes us feel better. But we have to question, why does it make us feel better? Because it gives us male attention. So competing with other women, not celebrating who it is we are, not accepting who it is we are, not accepting our aging and allowing ourselves to age the way we are aging without admonition or resentment are the ways that we can empower ourselves. But most importantly, to see ourselves as a sisterhood, to see ourselves as a sororal community, that we are hand in hand. We're not competing with each other because we don't want male's attention necessarily. We don't need it for our acute survival, especially today. And to see males as our brothers. How do we see males as our brothers? By understanding them. Part of understanding them is protecting ourselves against them. So we're not, put in, uh, we're not putting ourselves in harm's way. And through this understanding of who we are, who they are, that we're very different biological species, we actually empower ourselves. So, for example, some practical examples in an Indian culture, Indian parents need to look how they train their daughters to be servile, how they teach their daughters to stay in the kitchen or stay quiet with the brother or the brother-in-law or the father-in-law. No. How we train our daughters to, to cover their heads and bend, you know, put their eyes down when they greet males in the home. No, don't do that anymore. How we teach our sons to, you know, to get away with their uh, toxic male comments. No. So we mothers have a lot of power that we're giving away. And Okay, how mothers look in the mirror and berate their own bodies. 
terrible message for daughters, right? Teaching daughters that they should contour themselves and plastic surgerize themselves. Mothers hold so much power. And the key to our daughter's empowerment in the future and our son's empowerment as well, because we want to raise awakened men, is for mothers to look at the charge that they're in. I mean, Indian mothers have so much power, but they're giving it away. Indian mother-in-laws should know better. If they were subjugated because of that archaic system, they should understand that they should free their daughter-in-laws. They should tell their sons to be quiet. They should teach their daughter-in-laws to emancipate themselves. So women in this way can hold the key to the liberation of the future generations. But we don't do that. We don't do that. We subjugate our daughters. We subjugate our our daughter-in-laws. And in this way, we keep co-creating our own misery instead of standing up and saying no more. Me too means no more. And not in a belligerent way. Of course, there's some anger because we're frustrated. But it's really women needing to stand up for women. We hold the key. The oppressed have to rise up. We can't expect those in the privileged position, the men in this in this position, to hand down their keys. They're like, no, we're on the throne. We like it here. It's up to us to sit on thrones right next to them, to put ourselves in the positions of sovereignty instead of waiting for them to change. Yeah, that was extremely powerful. All the examples you gave really reminded me of the whole concept of, you know, the male gaze in popular culture, especially, and how it's how it's kind of like conditioned into our brain without us even realizing why we are doing what we're doing, why we're wearing what we're wearing and just how we live our lives on a daily basis. Yeah, yeah. How we play into things without realizing that just in our very seemingly innocent actions, our words, our sentences to ourselves, how we talk to ourselves. This is why we are, quote unquote, victimized in our consciousness, because we victimize ourselves. The ultimate liberation is in our own minds. It's how we subjugate ourselves now. You know, we have enough power now. We are not living in an agricultural society where we depend on the, the, the males to go out into the fields or pre-agricultural where they had to go out and, you know, kill a lion for us. No, now we have power and women need to access this power and realize that we are creating our own, co-creating our own civility. So I have to ask if since you've lived in both uh, India and in America, do you see a difference in the two societal systems with regard to women? Well, obviously, India is more steeped in, in uh, you know, uh, let me use a polite word, in, uh, in, in idiotic, is <laughs> the most polite, traditions that are just robotically passed down generation after generation, and people don't question them in the name of keeping the tradition sacred. And while traditions have a beautiful aspect, they're really, you know, there are many memes that go around these days that talk about traditions being dictates from dead people. They are really nooses around our head. And we, in our not questioning them and blindly going forward, we keep passing them down and passing down very toxic messages. So India, therefore, is, quote unquote, worse because it has so many old traditions that people are afraid to disrupt, to question, can't even question them. And then you're seen as slutty or immoral or bad for breaking them. You know, marriage is antiquated in India. Divorce is antiquated in India. Um, you know, it, it, the role of the woman. 
what is expected of her, uh, you know, and people just go about it because it has been so infused with two things, infused with religious morality and infused with ethics, you know, just your own personal ethics. Now, the minute you bring God into it and you bring goodness into it, you're doomed because every time you go against it, you are, you are against God and you're a bad person. So this is the way culture has controlled us. And until we see through how culture has been puppeteering us, in fear, we will not break free. So India is, quote unquote, more antiquated, more regimented. Having said that, I thought Western women would be more liberated. And I'm shocked to find how disempowered Western women are, which is why I do the work I do. And um, basically, the entire globe is steeped in a matrix of wanting to fit in and to be part of something bigger than themselves, because we are afraid to walk our own path. And we've been culturally conditioned to be to belong to the masses and to be part of the herd. And I call it sheep to the slaughterhouse, you know, and we're all sheep in a, go walking straight into the slaughterhouse, thinking that it's going to give us redemption without realizing that we're just being heavily indoctrinated. Um, so I want to ask another question. Basically, when you moved away from India, did you as a woman, did your outlook change? And how did it change? Oh, my God. hundred percent. I mean, I changed so much. I mean, I changed. I don't. Uh, yeah, I completely metamorphosized. I think I've lived definitely two lives, if not three or four. And each life iteration, of course, was scowled upon uh, because each time I revolutionized myself, took a turn around the sun, I had to leave the old behind. And with that, I made people angry with me and hurt them because they took it personally. Uh, but I knew, because I've done a lot of spiritual work on myself, that I wasn't hurting anyone. I was just hurting their own sense of safety, their own sense of security. And had I succumbed to their fears, and I say this really to you young women, if you succumb to their fears because they're going to be hurt, you're always going to hurt people when you change because they are still stuck in their little cocoon and they will threaten you. They will think they will tell you you're a bad person. They will guilt trip you. They will shame you. But you have to keep walking down your path. So I hurt a lot of people, quote unquote, hurt a lot of people. They were hurt by me and they wanted to cut my legs and stop me and uh, shamed me and but I knew myself each turnaround so much that I kept walking forward, not being afraid. And each time I did it, I liberated myself and I cut the uh, chains that were binding me and enslaving me to old ideas and other people's comfort zones. And it has been not without pain because you don't want to hurt people and not without self-doubt because you, you are a person of conditioning. But each time I unconditioned myself, I became better, I became more loving, I became more compassionate. Yes, people still haven't forgiven me, but I see that it's because they're limited by their own consciousness and I didn't really do anything. So it's a very liberating process and this is what I teach women to do. My next book is on this, it's called The Radical Awakening. It's coming out in May 2021 and it's for every woman out there to liberate themselves because this seeing how I shed my own skin and grew my own wings Yes, it was treacherous, but it was a fully 
I mean, undeniably glorious process. And I wish people would do more of it, but I can see why they don't. It's because we're stuck in the matrix of fear. So, you know how you said that women treat their sons differently and their daughters differently. And then obviously they go into the cycle of, even though they've been treated badly by their husbands or their fathers, they will treat their sons in a different way and then they'll re-go into the cycle. So how do you think the cycle can be broken? Only through awareness. So when I say this, it sounds like, huh, what? That's it? I'm not talking about like an ordinary pedestrian awareness of I'm aware that I'm hungry. A true awakening of one's consciousness, which very few people want to do in this lifetime. So I've already reconciled myself to knowing that. While I say it, I know it's very impossible for most people. Um, So I'm a quote-unquote wisdom teacher, so I help people awaken. And the success rate is very low. (laughs) So um, I really work against myself. I wonder why I do it. But the only way people can awaken is if they are willing to dare, to be brave, to truly understand what conditioning is and not be willing to puppeteer themselves according to the dictates of culture and to break free. You know, it's, and, and, and I know that part of awakening involves pain. So I always tell my clients, you know, oh, okay, I see you want to change, but you can't really because to change means to die to your old self. So, okay, I understand you want it, but you're not ready to die. And come back to me when you're ready to die. And what that means is go through enough pain because one day, and some people even going through inordinate pain, rock bottom, rock bottom, rock bottom. Oh, nope, they cling to the old way. And you can see this in the pandemic too. You know, I've helped hundreds and hundreds of people through the pandemic and the clamoring cry is, oh, let's go back to the old way or when are we going to go back to the old way? And the old way was so toxic. I'm like, what old way? You don't want to go back to the old way. This is your opportunity to awaken, to reverse, to revolutionize. But very few people know what I'm talking about because most people's minds are heavily steeped in conditioning. It's very hard to break a pattern. You'll see in your own life, you may want to break free, but it takes years to really, really even get out of a relationship that is dysfunctional. You know it's dysfunctional. You know it's un, unhappy for you. You know you're both miserable, but oh, you won't. You keep trying, keep trying, keep trying. Because we don't realize that freedom is our destiny. We've been taught that suffering is our destiny. You know, Jesus died on the cross. Uh, you know, Sita sacrificed herself and let herself be eaten by the earth for her husband. You know, we're taught such bullshit that we believe in this martyrdom. And uh, we believe it's noble to suffer. And I teach that, no, it's not noble to suffer. It's ignorant to suffer. And when you get that, you can liberate yourself. Okay, so I have one last question. Um, Do you think it's more important for men to be educated with regard to victimization of women? Or is it women who have to put in the effort to change the system? Um, So... The answer is multifaceted. I think that on a very basic level, we can't wait for anyone ever to change. So in our singular lives, if we're unhappy, we have to go on our own journey, our own awakening. 
our own psychological healing and growth. So we don't wait for anyone. I don't wait for anybody ever in my life, not my child, not my parents, not my partners, nobody. If I'm unhappy, I take ownership. So that's the basic answer. Now, on a systemic level, men are not going to change because why would anyone in the position of power change? White men are not going to change ever, 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 because they have the power. So having said that, can they change? Of course. But the onus is on those who suffer. Those who suffer need to say, I'm tired of suffering. What do I need to do to stop suffering? So we need, we need to take charge and we have enough power to do that. And on another systemic level, it's really the mothers. And back to us women, it's really us women, who, mothers especially, who need to start changing our script, our language toward ourselves and move ahead. Um, so in our individual lives, it depends on us on a systemic level. It depends on the oppressed because the, the ones in privilege, the ones who are eating grape, grapes and cherries and strawberries abundantly, why should they don't even understand what we're talking about? What you hungry? I don't understand. They, they're, they're in a different bubble. So it depends. It's all depends on. And if you notice in life, think about the heroes in the world. Martin Luther King, Mahatma Gandhi, Nelson Mandela, Mother Teresa. These are the ones who were in touch with the, with the oppressed. These are the ones who created change. They're always people of color, always the ones who are women, people of color. We are the ones who make changes. I, I, you know, very few people in privilege will make change. Now, was there an Abraham Lincoln who was a white man who once owned slaves, slaves and then he changed? Yes. But but if for the most part, if you think of the heroes and heroines of the world, they will be people who came through the portal of suffering. That was lovely. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Lovely talking to you. Thank you, girl. If anyone listening would like to reach out to Shifali Sabari personally, her website is drshifali.com. The link is in our description. At PsychPod, we have outlets where anyone can ask questions on the chosen topics which we filter and incorporate in our podcast episodes. You can follow us on Instagram or email us. The details are in the description. Thank you for tuning in. Stay tuned for more episodes and updates.